Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 139. I'm Steve Kwan. And I'm Matt Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. Back with brother Matt, locked in a closet. Although this time I'm locked in one closet and you're locked in a different closet. We're not locked in the same closet together. I'm in the change room of my academy in my underwear, ready to talk. I am at home, locked in a closet, also in my underwear. So... What better circumstances than this to talk about jujitsu concepts, right? I know. I can't podcast with pants on or without coffee, so I'm ready to go. (laughs) All right. So what I thought we could talk about today, the last few times we got together, we were breaking down some of the core mechanics of jujitsu. We did a whole long chat on frames, which people seem to really like. And then we did another whole long chat on wedges. And I think these are fun chats because we often take for granted that people understand or should understand what these concepts are. And we tell people frame or we tell people get base, but we don't really actually bother to explain what that means. And if you break it down in any meaningful level of detail, you come to terms pretty quickly with the fact that there's actually a lot to explore. So today, Matt, I was thinking we could talk about another one of the core mechanics of jujitsu, which is posts. Yep. And posts are just, I mean, when we're discussing posts, we're essentially just talking about trying to get height and getting back into base. And it's one of the things that I see beginners and especially kids at all ages when they train and they're getting smashed and getting their guard passed. They don't think to come up into base and post so they can escape their hips. They usually just try to frame and try to shrimp out. And, you know, it's it's not really effective against someone who's putting all their weight on you at some point you do have to build base again so you can escape your hips. So I I find discussing the core mechanics like frames and especially posts to kids, even at an age such as as young as five is a really good way to teach kids, just giving them an idea or a concept as opposed to just teaching them singular moves. So much like how we teach adults, I think these core mechanic episodes are really valuable. They're not really rules or specific techniques, but more so just general ideas and yeah, let's talk about some posts and how, you know, you can use it to regain your guard and stay in good position. Let's do it. So a mistake that people often make when they're on the defensive is they focus on the fundamental movements that people in jiu-jitsu are taught from day one, like shrimping. And hey, shrimping is great. Nothing against shrimping. But if all you do is shrimp, probably what you're going to find is your opponent can just chase you down and eventually pass. Mm-hmm. And then you've burned a lot of energy. So that's where ideas like shrimping ain't easy. (laughs) Yeah, that's where ideas like posts come into play because they effectively allow you to do a degree of a level change. And they're used very often when you're on the defense. 
If your opponent is, for example, trying to pass your guard, a post can be used to get back up and you can use that to do a technical stand up to play the get up guard where you get up to your feet. The technical stand-up is basically an example of a post in action, right? You're using your hand and then you're getting up to your feet in an efficient manner. Posts also are used when you're the one being attacked, though, from the top, because if, for example, someone is trying to sweep you, you can put on an arm or a leg to post and try to block that attempt. So generally, posts are, in most cases, going to be another defensive tool at your disposal. Yeah, from the bottom, a post allows you to build some height and escape your body so that you can Hopefully, most of the time is to get your knees back on the inside position or get your legs back in as frames. And from the top position, generally a post describes regaining your balance when you fall victim to some Kazushi and you're trying to avoid a sweep. I remember when I was a purple belt, Rob Bernacki came to Burnaby BJJ where I was training at the time and taught a seminar on the sit-up collar tie guard recovery. And very commonly first, well, at least I first noticed it from Marcelo Garcia And essentially all it is, is it's a frame, which could be a collar tie or a reverse collar tie and a post and the posts. another important rule about a post, when you're posting against an opponent, the post has to match the vector of force. So if your opponent is driving weight down on you, the angle of your post has to match that force vector. If your post is not in line with that force vector, then you basically just fall over, right? So it's, it's such a valuable tool to have the sit up collar tie guard retention because you're going to find yourself outflanked at some point or your opponent is grabbing both your legs and they're trying to climb up your body and shrimping and framing just won't do the job. I mean, you can maintain some distance for a while, but against someone who's driving all their weight forward with their head, eventually your frames will fail you if you just continue to lie down. So it's important to be very, very proactive and to get up and build height onto a post. Generally, You know, it can be difficult to build to your hand right away, but building to the elbow first and then getting to your hand and then, of course, obviously establishing a frame like a collar tie. So the frame allows you to maintain some distance, maintain the inside position and prevents your opponent from gaining purchase on your upper body on the inside position. And your post allows you to build height and mobility with your hips. And then from there, the goal is to, of course, get the lower body inside position back so you can get to a positive guard where you can get back to an offensive cycle. So that's a really good point about posts and kind of how you use them. A lot of it is about getting up and getting height. And the post is really the key to playing the get up guard. It's funny, Matt, you and I were just talking about this the other day and how a lot of the moves in jujitsu that we are told are quote unquote fundamental that were taught from day one. Really, there's nothing special or even great about a lot of those moves. We're just taught them because decades ago, someone's Brazilian grandpa decided that these should be fundamentals. I mean, the pendulum or flower sweep is a perfect example of this, right? Beginners get taught this almost from the get-go. And against a good opponent, it's almost kind of a useless sweep. I mean, I never see anyone good hit the pendulum sweep. And I would say similar things for other sweeps. The most effective way, in my opinion, to deal with being on the bottom is to just get up. And that requires posting, right? Usually it requires posting on your arm, coming up to a technical stand-up. And the mistake that a lot of beginners make is they get so infatuated with the idea of getting a sweep the way that they're supposed to do it, that they forget that you can just get up. And if you are able to post and get up while your opponent is still on the bottom, now you've got height advantage and you can actually just kind of steamroll them. And 
that's as good as a sweep, right? You'll still get the points for it. You were on the bottom in guard. You came up on top. It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be the way the Gracie's intended, but getting up on a post and changing levels so that now you're above the opponent, often that's just the easiest way to take a dominant position. Especially when you're trying to sweep your opponent from a, a seated guard, you know, one of the the other side of the coin of the butterfly guard is the hip heist game. And for the longest time, I would basically just have a butterfly guard where I'm trying to elevate them into X guard or hit a sumigaishi or or get in a single leg X, get in between them and get underneath them. But you're going to go against someone eventually who knows that this is what you're trying to do, especially if you value leg locks and they know that you're decent at leg locks, they're going to avoid elevations like the plague. And so they start pulling their energy back and just sort of waiting for their opportunity to to pass or to get chest to chest on you. And it's that's a great opportunity when you feel your opponent is pulling back to just start hip heisting or hip heist, another name for a technical stand and just playing the snap down game into the front headlock. And that is what that involves is posting your hand out. So you have attacks going in two different directions. You, you're pulling them on top of you, trying to get, you know, inside position, X guards, all that type of stuff. And if they pull away, then you just snap their head down and heist up. And if they if they happen to single leg you as you're heisting up, I mean, you don't lose anything. You It's very hard for them to pass you in this moment because your feet would be on the inside. You know, you, if they try and take you back down, that plays right back into your sumigaishis and your leg entanglements. So there's... It's, it's a really great way to also complement your butterfly guard just by getting into base and getting some height advantage on your opponent and playing the hip heist game. Yeah, and you bring up a good point too, which is that one of the considerations about posting if you're on the bottom is you have to be mindful that your opponent may grab that post or they may grab a different lever on your way out. If you're playing guard and you decide to do a hip heist or a technical stand-up, it's possible, very possible, that your opponent will grab your leg on the way up. And that's not, like you said, always the end of the world, and you can somewhat adapt for that. I mean, if you know that that's a possibility, then you can time motions in such a way that it's unlikely your opponent will will be able to do that. It's also more likely in some situations. I mean, if you're playing closed guard and you try to do a technical stand-up, very high percentage chance that your opponent is just going to take your leg on the way up. But if you're playing a an open guard and maybe you're tracking with hooks rather than being tied around your opponent, it's a little bit easier to kind of get the angle right so they don't take your leg. But like you said, as long as you're ready for it, it doesn't necessarily have to be the end of the world that they do grab you on the way up. One thing I found, one of my least favorite things for my opponent to do to me is when I'm on bottom in guard and I try to get up on a post on my arm and they reach behind me and grab that arm and pull it behind my back. I hate that so much. Mm. So that is one caveat with posting is you're giving your opponent something to grab onto. So ideally, if possible, if you can do it, it's often advisable to try to post outside of your opponent's range where they can't just grab things, but you can't always guarantee that, right? Sometimes the only way to do what you want is to take that little bit of risk. That's a really good point. Definitely when your opponent posts in certain positions, it leaves opportunity for Kimura traps or or just motorcycle grips behind the back. That is a really good a good strategy. And if you're on top trying to pass, or maybe you're in the top side inside Senkaku and you see your opponent post up on their elbow, that's a perfect opportunity to hit that Kimura trap and that takes you to the back. So that definitely is a really good strategy. We should also discuss as well posting is you know posting at the on the end of the lever whether it's your leg or your arm compared to posting in mid lever so an example would be 
you know, if I'm building base from the bottom, playing a collar tie series and I'm getting my guard passed and I need to get my hips back in front of me and my opponent's flanking around the side and I have a collar tie and I'm in base to my elbow, being in base to your elbow will only go so far because where the elbow connects to the floor is actually not as wide of a post as your hand would be. And so it's going to be easier for your opponent to topple your weight over your shoulder or your elbow. And that's going to basically bring you back down to the floor. Whereas if you build base to your hand, you have a, you now have a post that will match the angle of force. And it's going to be a lot harder for your opponent to bring you back down to the floor. So it's really important. I, I recommend to try to not post on your elbow for long periods of time. I generally always build up to my hand just because for that very reason of having a wider post, being able to absorb more force for longer amounts of time. It's more of a mobile post, I suppose, than an elbow. It's harder to drive your center of gravity over that that post. Another example would be, you know, let's say I'm in a single leg X guard and I'm on my knee. So if I'm on my knee, then my post is not as wide or as mobile as if I was on my foot. You know, when you're in a single leg X guard or an X guard, you should pretty much always be on two feet. You should not hang out in these guards for long periods of time on uh, on a knee just because essentially your the leg that's entangled is far lighter and far easier to manipulate when you're on your knee. As soon as you step up to a foot, you're going to find your passes, your back step passes, which is really what you should be looking to do. Your back step passes are a lot easier because you're in base and you're a lot more mobile. And if you get off balance, it's a lot easier to base out when you have such a wide post on your foot. So long story short, I recommend, I'm not going to say all cases, but in the majority of cases, building height and building base to the end of the lever, such as your foot and your hand, as opposed to your knee and elbow. Yeah, there is one benefit to building base with a post onto your knee or your elbow. So kind of you're going halfway. If you do that where you're posting on your elbow or your knee, meaning you're not maximally getting height advantage because, you know, you're not using the full length of the lever. There is one benefit to that, which is that the middle joint is not exposed. If I post all the way up onto my arm, then my elbow is somewhat accessible to my opponent. What that means is that if they can get access to that lever, they can actually start controlling the middle joint. And as we know, if they can get access to your two of the three joints in your arm or your leg, they can really control you quite well. Additionally, of course, if your opponent is kind of spazzy, if you post in the wrong direction at the wrong angle, they can put a lot of shock onto that middle joint and injure you. I mean, I've I've definitely had that happen to me where I post on my foot, but because my opponent has access to my knee, they're able to slam my knee and actually injure me. So it's a trade-off, right? The benefit to doing a shallow post on your elbow or your knee is that it's stronger and sturdier, but you also don't get as much height. You don't get as much base. It is something to consider though, right? Because if I post on my leg and I'm posting on my foot, then my opponent can go in for things like leg entanglements. Probably unavoidable if you want to play jujitsu properly, but you just have to be aware that when you post on the end of the lever, that can happen. I agree with you in ways. And I also can mention times when I, I would disagree with you. If you Yes, if you post on your foot, you could your opponent could potentially invert into a leg entanglement. And I think that's just because there's more uh, your center line's more exposed when you're on your foot as opposed to your knee, just 
due to the nature of a wider base. But and and I have had times when I was in X guard and my opponent off balanced me and I had to post and I posted by their ear and they snapped on a straight arm bar and popped my arm like that. That definitely does happen. But I would also say that sometimes the the center joint can be exposed in different ways if you post on your elbow. For example, if you post on your elbow, it's a lot easier to trap a Kimura from a posted elbow than a posted hand. because Just because a posted hand is an extended arm, and when an arm is extended, it's hard to gain ratchet control and expose the Kimura. But if your arm is bent and you're on your elbow, it's extremely easy to gain control of the elbow. So... I think in in certain ways you look, you can look at it as yes it's true it's easier to avoid having the third joint exposed if you have a straight arm but also in other ways it also does expose that joint in, if you post on your elbow as well if that makes sense uh, another example would be like you know playing uh, a low coyote guard and a half guard you know if your opponent is based on their knee it's pretty easy to take control of their ankle on the far leg you know, especially if you if you're wrestling up and you can grab that far ankle and take them out of base, then they can't get up. But if they're if they're posting on their far knee, quite often you can't gain control of that second leg. So hard to say. I I, I think it depends on the situation. It depends on the technique. Definitely, I think in terms of controlling ro- in in ratchet contexts like Kimuras, it's easy to get those positions if your opponent's on the mid joint. But in terms of linear submissions like knee bars, arm bars, it's easier to get those when the limb is straightened out. Does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I totally get it. And I think that in most cases, the process of going to the middle joint where you post on your elbow or your knee, there's somewhat limited utility in that anyway, really. I mean, what is that going to get you? That's going to get you a few inches off the ground, but you're not going to be able to generate a lot of base if you're on your elbow or your knee. You'll get something, but being on your hand or your foot gives you much more base, which makes the post much more useful. There is an advantage to posting on your knee in some cases that I can think of. Like, for example, let's say I'm in a gi match and my opponent outgrips me and, you know, I'm, I'm standing over them and they play a spider guard. And, you know, I feel, okay, I'm having issues breaking these grips. They've outgripped me and I need to just lower my base. Dropping to a knee and posting your other knee in between their legs, for example, that's a good strategy because now all of a sudden it's harder to off balance you. So there is an advantage, I guess, to dropping to your knee and that you lower your center of gravity. And in doing so, you can increase your base for the time being while you grip fight and, you know, you avoid temporary or you minimize temporary Kazushi while you're sorting out grips so you can get back into that offensive cycle. I think that is a pretty common use because you will see guys drop to their knee in the gi. Mm-hmm. In no gi, I almost, I almost never drop to a knee unless I'm doing like body lock passing, in which case I'll be on both knees. And then from there, as I pressure forward, I usually get off my knee anyways, right? So maybe tight chest to chest passing, you're going to spend times when you're on your knees, but like especially blitz passing you you're always on your feet when i'm you know usually when i'm trying to work my way out of single leg xx guard like i said always want to be on my feet so i can be mobile so i guess in certain times when mobility is not a priority and you just need to hunker down and sort of survive the initial attack it makes sense to drop to a knee but when you're trying to actually you know be mobile and move around and back step and do dynamic movements like that you definitely don't want to be on a knee 
Yeah, I think that where posting on an elbow or a knee can make sense is if you're trying to basically shell up to keep yourself safe and you're trying to get really low. It can come in handy to post on knees and elbows if you're trying to get underneath your opponent. A lot of turtle is that, right? It's basically posting on your knees, especially, and trying to stay low to the ground. So there are situations. I also do this sometimes when I'm doing certain types of low guard passing, like certain stack passes, I'll be on my knees. And generally, the reason I'm doing that is because I'm trying to get low to the ground, because in situations like that, lower is better. But yeah, it's the same as if you're on your guard, right? In your guard, when you're on your knees in guard, yeah, you might be somewhat stable, but you don't have a lot of base. And that's why so many people go up to standing passes when they are in the guard, right? Basically, they're posting on both legs in that situation. But although that might expose their legs a bit, it also gives them much more mobility, which is so important if you want to actually get past someone's defenses. Mm-hmm, for sure. And and I guess, you know, we're talking about like the length of the post or, or I guess the the width of the post by basing on the end of the lever as opposed to the middle of the lever. But we should also mention how very rarely when our opponent is passing, will they actually be sticking with one force vector? You know, for, for, for example, if mm-hmm. I, you know, if I'm passing your guard and I'm just driving my weight forward and you create a post and a frame you pretty much can't get through, you know, like you, you could, you could potentially out pummel me or redirect my frame and get closer to chest to chest or whatever. But if I'm good and I have good structure and good base, I mean, I've basically countered you in that moment and you're going to have to change your attack. So a lot of the time, what your opponent will do is you'll see, you know, maybe they grab your pants or whatever, if it's gi and they're, and they're going side to side. So changing angles. And what that does is change the angle of force and in doing so, the person on the bottom has to adjust how they're framing and adjust their posts. So basically, the way we look at the force vector is it's if your opponent is pressuring you or or blitzing you, is it's their tailbone to their head. The, the, the position of their spine essentially illustrates their force vector. So your post behind you needs to match that angle of their spine and if they're if they're changing their angle and running around you your post basically has to reflect that change of the angle of their spine so posts are not meant to always just be stagnant and stationary but they should be active as well and of course from the top they will be due as you're getting off balance but from the bottom when your opponents got you in that defensive cycle you're trying to regain your guard it's very important that you make sure that your post is actively moving around and modifying so that it adjusts to the angle of your opponent's force vector until, you know, you get sufficient frames back inside. Usually, usually the case I'm describing is getting the lower body inside position back. So essentially getting your knees back into place. If it's nogi, my strategy for for exiting that defensive cycle and getting back to offense is essentially getting my knees back in front of me and getting my feet back to the inside position. And if we're talking about the gi, same goals, except we use our posts to get inside position on the lower body or just get grips and get good foot placement on the jacket so that you have four points of contact. Absolutely. Yeah, you've got me thinking here as I kind of think about posts and it's funny i've never really thought in depth i love these conversations because i haven't really actually thought in depth about like okay what are the strategies and the concepts around a post and when you do one here and when you do one there what you just brought up there about matching the force vector is super critical the way that i teach the post is i always tell people think of a motorcycle or a bike 
and a kickstand. The kickstand is basically the post. And as you know, if you've ever tried to set up a kickstand on a bike or a motorcycle, the benefit of a kickstand is it's angled exactly perfect to support the whole weight of the thing. And if you get the angle right, you can support a tremendous amount of weight. But if you don't get the angle right, the kickstand collapses and the whole thing falls over. So the problem with fighting against someone who's good at jujitsu is when you put up a post, they're going to immediately counter by changing the angle of force that's coming in. So unless you're fighting a motorcycle or a bicycle that doesn't move, and some people, especially junior people, don't move that much. But against someone who's more experienced, they will know that when you post, the solution for them is to try to cut an angle so that the post is not useful anymore. So what that means is your post needs to always be adapting and you always need to be constantly adjusting to match the angle of the force coming in. What I would also add is it's usually also not a good idea to post for a long time for precisely this reason, because if you're just sitting there posting and you're trying to adjust, but your opponent keeps changing angles, you're probably eventually going to have your post collapsed because your opponent will just keep changing angles until they find the right angle to collapse it. So usually with posts, you want to use them to solve a problem. You want to adjust them to meet the force vector and you want to stop using them as soon as you can because eventually they're going to fail you. Yeah. And there's, there's something we haven't discussed in terms of posts because up until now we basically discussed posting with arms and legs, but also posting with your head is pretty damn effective too. You know, the head is kind of the fifth limb and it's a lever to the spine. So, you know, there's a lot of times when let's say you have a two on one, like a Kimura or whatever, and you're trying to get to the T position, like let's say you're in half guard and you manage to tie up a, you go cross body on your partner and you're trying to use a Kimura to pass. Quite often I'll post up on my head and I think it's important to, when you're posting on your head to make sure that you post your head of your own choice before your opponent off balances you because you're going to spike your damn head. And that can be pretty dangerous. You know, obviously if your opponent rolls hard and you don't have a hand to post because you're too busy you know, trying to get a two-on-one on one of their limbs and all of a sudden your head spikes. So that just comes from mat awareness. But posting on your head is a very effective post as long as your your spine is straight. And then from there, you can maintain top position. And, you know, same with body lock passing, certain pressure passes. Your head position plays a huge role. And quite often, not only will it post out for base, but you can post your head as a frame as well. Is certain leg drag positions, you can put your head in front of your partner so they can't frame you away. You know, the Pez dispenser is a great example of using your your head as a post to break posture. So there's a lot of ways that head position plays into these powerful top positions and on the offensive, but also just to post out and make make sure that you don't get swept. Yeah, I, I always recommend using your head as a post. But like I said, you never want to you never want to get spiked and not have control of how you post your head. You want to do it of your own choice before your partner off balances you. So you head plant. Yeah, I know that Preet Mikkelsen, when he teaches turtle, he advocates that you post on your head. I actually do something similar, although I I don't post on my head. I kind of turn a bit to the side and I post on my shoulder. But the idea is if you're in turtle and you're posting on your elbows or you're posting on your hands, then you can't hand fight, right? Because your hands are busy supporting your weight. So it's very easy for your opponent to manipulate your body. Whereas if you post on your head or if you turn and post on your shoulder, now your hands are free to engage. And if your opponent tries to seatbelt you or body lock you, you have a defense and you can actually grip fight from the bottom. 
So you, like you said, you have to be careful posting on your head because, because of course there's a safety factor involved, but in certain positions, it can be a very good strategy because posting on your head frees up your ability to fight with your hands. Mount is another great example. If you're going for certain mount attacks, sometimes posting on your head can be good because it allows your, your arms to be freer to attack than they otherwise would be. Absolutely. I love using my head as a frame on somebody's body and just it's so <laughs> annoying because it's like a battering ram, right? Like all your weight is behind your head and they have to respect it. That's one of the another thing. Great thing about using your head position, like quite often when someone's giving me pressure, let's say from half guard or whatever, and I'm on the bottom, one of my favorite things to do is to tie up their wrists and, you know, get control of a lever so that they can't post on it. And also so I can I can use my grip on the wrist to, as an off balancing tool and also as a frame to some degree. But when I'm on top, quite often what I'll do is I'll just start driving my head into their head while I kind of bring I leave my arms back. So there's no levers for them to frame off of. So they're they're essentially forced to frame on my head because my head is the leading edge. And in, in doing so, if you're on top, you can always sort of you can always lure their arms out. So. The great thing about that strategy is as they go to frame on you, they expose their arms as levers, right? So, you know, if I'm if I'm looking for an underhook or if I'm from the top position, if I'm looking for an underhook or if I'm looking to gain control of their wrist or, or something like that, and they're being really difficult and not letting me pin their wrist, you really don't need to do much more but just to drive your face into their into their body because that will coax the reaction you're looking for. It'll extract their arms out in the open and then from there you can take control with your arms. So <laughs> I I use that quite a bit with my pressuring just just to expose their hands. And then from there I like to grip fight on the way in and and hopefully get chest to chest, get inside position. So I, I use it a lot in in the offensive uh, strategies as well. Well, let's get into that too, because when you're talking about posts, where the mind usually goes is towards defense, right? The most obvious example of a post is your opponent is in the process of passing your guard and you're trying to back out and stand up. Or maybe you're in their guard and they're trying to sweep you, so you have to post on an arm or a leg to prevent that. But you can also use posts when you're on the attack, when you're in a dominant position. The main benefit to doing this is it allows you to create kind of weird angles that make it very hard for your opponent to respond. Common and obvious example of this is neon belly. You're posting on your far leg, which allows you to create such an angle that your weight is kind of offside to your opponent, and that makes it very awkward and hard for them to attack you. Similarly, when you play a technical mount, you do a similar thing where you post on one leg and you can kind of lean to the side. It creates a really difficult angle for your opponent because they can't really attack you or move you in either direction. So on the offense, posts are useful as well, but usually the game is you post in such a way that your opponent on the bottom cannot grab and control that post or counter or sweep or reverse you. So that's why when you're playing something like Neon Belly or Technical Mount, the whole strategy is that you have to have your post offside to the point where your opponent can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. I, I like to, it's pretty cool when you can marry up some of these core mechanics into, you can use one grip as multiple mechanisms. So for example, I just talked about grip fighting from the top, you know, like for example, if I was coming in a top half guard looking to pass, I would never want my opponent to get a two on one on either one of my wrists really, because what it does is they can use that grip 
as a frame. They can use it to prevent me from cross-facing them or getting an underhook, and they can use it to prevent me from posting out myself should they off-balance me. And the same thing goes for the top player. You know, If I'm coming in from the top and I'm denying my opponent grips on my wrists, I can track down their wrists like I, I can use the method I mentioned above by using head pressure, shoulder pressure, and forcing them to frame on my upper body, and in doing so, just intercepting their wrist and then pinning it to the floor. So what that does is, Not only can they not grip me with that hand and they can't frame with that hand, but now I've also generated a post by pinning their wrist. So it's kind of doing multiple tasks at once and leading to a really, really potent attack. On one hand, not only does it break their alignment, but it strengthens my alignment. And from there, quite often, if you pin their wrist you know, and it's far away from their body, they have no ability to guard the underhook of that said wrist. So you quite often you can transition to an underhook position off of that pin. It's just a really robust way to come in and grip fight is pinning the wrist to the floor. I I first learned that when Taza came out and did a seminar at her school about a year ago, he was doing that. And I was like, oh my God, that's genius. I've never thought of that before. And then most recently, if you watch uh, the match that happened between Kainan Dwarch and uh, Mateus Denise, which is just, I mean, it's a flawless victory by Kainan Dwarch. Once he foot swept Mateus with a, I believe it was a, what was it? A Dayashi Barai. He had a beautiful foot sweep and then he pinned him in the top half guard, I believe, or at a top smash position. The first thing he did was he tracked down Mateus' wrist and he pinned it to the floor. And uh, it's a helpless feeling when you're on the bottom and your wrist is pinned to the floor with your opponents. All their weight is on that one wrist. And you can't frame with it, you can't free it, and they're getting tons of base off of that hand. And they're now leg pummeling or working for an inside position. So that's like a, you know, I think that's a crucial strategy for passing the guard is intercepting the wrist and pinning it to the floor. Yeah, that's actually a hack that I absolutely adore. When you post, you have to be careful that you're giving your opponent a lever right? If you are in their guard, this is why they always tell you when you're in someone's guard, don't post your hands on the ground because you're giving them something to attack. But the situation changes if you post on top of your opponent's lever, like if you post onto their wrist, because then you're killing one of their levers while also getting a post. And because you're killing one of their levers, it's way harder for them to turn that against you. That's another thing I love to do when I'm standing in someone's guard is I love to step on their feet because now my foot is a post and I'm posting on top of their foot. So I'm getting a post and they're losing a lever, which is a really, really good trade for me. Yeah, that's another good example. I know you do that. And I've seen Travis Stevens show that actually in certain stand up techniques. But I think a really current well, where you'll see that most nowadays in competitive jujitsu is the Rutolo brothers. They have that leg pinning system where they're stomping the feed and using it to flank around. I've actually not studied that passing style, but it is super effective. And I, you even see some of the Danaher guys do this as they're coming in. They're pinning the feet with their feet and using it to create angles and get into uh, passing positions. That's kind of interesting. It's something I, it's something that I want to practice that I haven't really used so far, but definitely stomping the feet is, yeah, it's effective. I, I think using mechanisms that, serve multiple purposes, whether they strengthen your alignment and or break your opponent's alignment are always good, safe bets for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, Hey, it's great to have a post that helps you preserve your own alignment, but it's way better if you can use these mechanics to make your own alignment stronger and break your opponent's alignment at the same time. And that proves to be 
quite challenging. It's not always the case that you're going to get a lot of examples where you can do this, but whenever you can, it's awesome. It's just absolutely awesome to do that because it's such a good trade-off and it gives you such a strong mechanical advantage. Mm, I think we could move on to talking about, you know, how, how like say from the bottom player's perspective, how we can anticipate posts in order to set up attacks. So, I mean, a prime yes. example would be something Danaher talks about is the the four quadrants, right? And the four quadrants essentially describe the four, the four squares on the floor that your four limbs are able to post in. So if you, if you know which quadrant your opponent has to post in because you're off balancing him in that direction, then if you proactively control that post before you initiate your sweep, then you know that they have nothing to post on in that quadrant. So a prime example would be like a, what, a uh, flower sweep, right? Like if you, if, or a pendulum sweep, even if you can pull their arm across the center or just literally just grab their wrist and prevent them from putting their hand in that upper quadrant, then you know, they won't have a post in that direction. So you can build your sweep game anticipating which quadrant they're going to post in. Yeah, yeah. The ability to use the need to post as a predictable response is one of kind of the main things you got to get good at if you want to take people up from the bottom. So much of the elevation game where you're trying to get under someone and manipulate their center of gravity, it comes down to the ability to know predictably where they're going to have to post. There's not a lot of sure things in jujitsu, but the thing about posting is it's one of those sure things because if I throw your body weight in a direction and your choice is to face plant or post with your arm, you will always post with your arm. So that's the benefit of that game plan. And that's why understanding posts from the bottom is so critical. Absolutely. And if I had to describe, you know, what is Kazushi or how do we initiate a post out of our opponent to a beginner? I would simply just say, well, once their center of gravity shifts over that post, they have two choices. They can compensate their base by putting another post, whether it be their hand or their other foot, or they can fall over on their face, right? And, and like you said, we don't know, we, not much is sure, but that is sure. That is 100% true that if you knock your opponent's center of gravity, or honestly, a lot of the time, their head, if you can shift their head over their post, you know that they have to recompose their base in, in some way, shape, or form. And so doing this, we can we can create better sequences and continue our offensive cycle. So one thing we talked about was, okay, I'm going to preemptively grab my opponent's sleeve. Then I'm going to sweep them into that quadrant and get my sweep. Right. But there's, there's more to it. There's, you know, the initial sweep that I went for didn't work because, you know, let's say for example, I have a, I'm in seated guard and I'm going for a sumigayashi. So I trap my opponent's far arm and I have like an underhook or a collar tie and I'm going for my sumigaishi, and they have no arm to post out in that quadrant, but they're able to stand up and post their rear leg. This is something that will happen, especially with people with really good base. They'll, they don't have a hand to post on, so they use their leg or sometimes, sometimes even their head. Although in this case, if you drive their head to the floor, it's, it's a pretty sure sweep. But let's say, you know, you go for a, a sumi and then they, they post their leg out super wide. So we know that this is a predictable response. We know that they're either going to get swept or they're going to recompose their base with a rear leg. So when they do that, they actually expose their center line. And this is a perfect opportunity to pull yourself underneath and enter into a single leg X or uh, an X guard position. So that's another thing when we know that our initial attack is going to create a certain reaction or 
you know, two or three common reactions, then we can better plan our next follow-up attack. And against, against a good opponent, it's never going to be your first attack that works. It's always going to be your second, third, fourth, whatever. And just understanding those predictable reactions will allow us to get into that next position even quicker and be more effective from there. So we can, you know, go for our Sumi and our opponent bases out on their leg. We pull ourselves into a single leg X and then we continue to off balance them, keeping their hands on the floor. Now their hands are on the floor. They had to post because we off balance them. Now their hands are on the floor. It's safe for us to transition into an X guard and then work for our sweep from there. Right. But if, but if, but let's say we get into a single leg X or an X guard and we're like, oh, sweet, I'm in single leg X. I'm an X guard now. Uh, I, I achieved my guard. Okay. Now what's next? And, and then by the time you're thinking about what to do next, your opponent is already disengaging your hooks and backstepping. And now you're back on the defense. And that the reason why is because we're not making them post on the floor with their hands. And as a general rule in self defense, in jujitsu, when we're on the bottom position, we always want to make our opponent put their hands on the floor. And make them post so that they can't use their hands to hit us or to start disassembling our open guard. So it's like, again, you know, kind of a rabbit hole there, but a long story short, getting that exposing the inside position because I know my opponent will step up with one leg. We can get into Ashi and then keep their hands on the floor and start going from there. Yeah, you mentioned how technique chaining is the key to pulling off any given technique, which is something that. I think a lot of people kind of fail to teach their students. They will teach these moves in a bubble, like here's how you do a scissor sweep or a pendulum sweep. And that sounds great in a bubble, but the reality is unless you can get people off balance, there's basically zero chance of you hitting a technique on a good person. So it's almost always preferable to try to focus by getting some predictable responses out of them and getting them to post. So I kind of advocate that, look, if you want to actually sweep someone or pull off something, really you should be trying to get them to move to the point where they have to post before you actually go for whatever it is that you want to do. Like if I'm on the ground, for example, and I just do a technical stand-up, like we talked about, it is possible the person can take your leg on the way up. But if you're giving them some movement and you force them off to the point where they actually have to post for a second, it's very hard for them to grab your leg on the way up. Uh, there's a lot of examples where if your opponent can post, they, they can't really attack you very well if they're posting, first and foremost. But also, so many successful techniques, they're going to require you to have a control over some sort of lever. And the most predictable way to get that control is make them post, right? Like if you want to get an omoplata on someone, get them to post on the floor beside you. That's easily the best way to do it. So getting some motion going so that people are forced to post is usually the beginning of getting them to the the technique that you ultimately wanted to pull off. Yeah, and that's kind of was one of the shifts when I was probably shifting from blue belt to purple belt as I was like from the bottom, I was like, okay, I got to try and get this move that I practice, right? Like back then I was still just learning in moves. I didn't have any conceptual ideas or, or anything like that. And I was trying to hit these moves and, you know, against shitty opponents, it would work. And against good opponents, they would they would stifle my attacks. Just guys that understand better body positioning would stop my attacks. And then at some point I realized, oh, I, I shouldn't be looking for my favorite sweeps. I should be looking to get their hands to the floor and off balancing before I initiate my attack. And then if you do that, your attacks will become just so much easier. So you know, if you're, if you're like a white belt or a blue belt listening to this and you want to make your attacks from the bottom, whether it be a sweep or submission, 
it's really important to create limb extension and create those posts. And that's how you're going to just to preface your attacks from the bottom. That's how you're going to make it so that your opponent is has their alignment broken. Once you break their base and they have to post their hands on the floor, everything else becomes easier. And so start creating chains rather than single attacks. Start start thinking about, okay, here comes my off balance. What are my off balances from this position? And then your attacks will just become so much easier. Definitely. It's important to get lever control if you want to launch an attack. And although it is possible, it's usually challenging to grab someone's arm or leg and just pull it where you want it to go. I mean, it can be pretty hard to do that, but posts are a way easier and more efficient way to get access to someone's arm, right? Instead of grabbing your arm and trying to pull it to me so I can do what I want with it, I off balance you to the point where you put your own arm where I need it to be. And it's just much more efficient especially if you're fighting against someone who's really big and really strong. So many of the underneath games require this, right? I mean, if you're like an X-Guard player or you do really anything, even Turtle, if you play the kinds of games where you need to get underneath someone, the thing that makes those work is you have to consistently be getting your person on top to post. And pay attention to this when your instructor teaches techniques from things like X-Guard or single leg X-Guard, because what you're going to find is one of the key things amongst all of these techniques is before you do the sweep, there's going to be some part where you try to get your opponent to post. Like X-Guard, for example, being a great example. You're normally trying to lean the person forward or lean them backward. And in either situation, they're going to have to post either with their hand if they're forward or they're going to have to manipulate their far leg into a predictable position. So very important if you want to understand that whole game of how you off balance and elevate and get under from the bottom. Yeah. And even from the standing position, you know, we haven't really talked about standing positions, but quite often when you're wrestling with someone, the reason why they feel so strong is because they're, they have good posture and they're in front of you. But if you can like flank your opponent, get behind them, one of the best things you can do is force their hands to the floor with a mat return. So whether we're, you know, you could go for a trip, you could go for a literally just uh, leaning them forward, try and drive their head into the floor. Or if you have a single leg, there's ways to flank behind the back and put their hands down on the floor. And that is one of the easiest ways to actually bring the fight to the floor or in a self-defense situation. It's super effective because they can't turn and hit you. Definitely bringing your opponent's hand to the floor in any situation is always a good idea. So I recommend everyone starts to think of, you know, if, if you're new, that is to start thinking about, okay, I have my favorite attacks that I like to do. What are the ways that I can get their hands to the floor before I launch these attacks? There's many dilemmas all through jujitsu where where putting their, your opponent's hand on the floor is kind of the deciding factor as to which direction you're going to go. Like one example would be the front headlock situation. You know, if you enter a front headlock, you're sprawling on someone's uh, front headlock, you're sprawling on their turtle and you're attacking their neck one thing you can always do is pay attention to their hands and that will kind of tell you what is the effective route to go. So if they're, de- if they're defending your hands, then you know that you can't really choke, right? If, they, if their hands are on the floor basing out, then you know that there's nothing guarding their neck. So it's time to start sinking in a choke. You know, if their hands come to your, to your hands, it's going to be super effective to hand fight from this position then in this moment, yes, they are defending the submission, but they're also in somewhat poor base. So a small snap down, and then you can start hitting your go behind. So you play the dilemma between submission and going behind their shoulder line based upon their hand position. Another example would be 
playing the underhook series from the half guard, you know, and there's, there's multiple things you can do from there, but generally there's kind of a, like a trilemma there between coming up on the underhook, the roll through sweep and, you know, heisting back up into the, uh, into the underhook position. So that up down movement is made so much easier sweeping from the bottom half guard. If you can first put your opponent's hands on the floor, because if the, if you know, think about it this way, you're coming up on an underhook, your opponent has two choices. They can wizard you denying you access to their back. Or if you off balance them, they can post on the floor and prevent the sweep, but it's hard for them to do both simultaneously. Like good athletes will be able to, quickly base and deny you back exposure. And so that's kind of the game you play from that bottom half guard position. But that is kind of the dilemma. You know, if you, if uh, one thing Danaher talks about when he describes this series is like, when you hear their hands going to their floor, when you hear that, like uh, when you hear that hand, the hands posting on the floor, you know that there's no wizard. And so that's your cue that they're okay. There's back exposure now. Right. So paying attention to their hands, whether or not they're on you or on the floor will will kind of give you that cue as to, okay, which direction should I go? Should I try and go to the back or should I try and do the roll through sweep? So that is kind of how the, the Danaher guys structure their jujitsu. And that's, that's the best way I think to structure jujitsu is always have predictable reactions and dilemmas based on your opponent's reactions. You're going to create dilemmas and have multiple options to attack. Well, that's a great segue into something else I wanted to bring up, which is we've been talking so far about how, you may want to force your opponent to post so that you can use that post as something to attack, right? Get them to post on their arm or their leg, and now you've got a lever dangling that you can attack. But sometimes you want to do the opposite. If you want to knock your opponent over, sometimes you want to force them not to post because they'll be easier to knock over. And one of the ways that you can do that is by threatening damage, often in the form of submission, right? So a perfect example, and you touched on this earlier, is... If your opponent is turtled up and you have a front headlock on them, if you go for a choke, even if it's not a great choke attempt, just if you go for a choke, your opponent has to bring their hands in to defend. They have to, because the alternative is you're going to choke them. And there's a lot of situations like that where a threat of a submission forces your opponent to bring in what they could otherwise use as posts to defend. So, I mean, I'm not a very good wrestler. But even I've been able to pull this off on good wrestlers where you threaten like a guillotine on them. It immediately forces them to bring their hands in. And because their hands are no longer available to post, it makes it way easier to sweep or to knock them over. So an example is if you've got a front headlock on someone, you can get their hands off of the floor by threatening a choke. And that makes it easier to just push them over into side control. Alternately, if you can get a front headlock on someone who's standing, they must bring their hands in to defend. And that means if you sumigaishi them from there, they can't post and block it. So it was like a guaranteed sweep. So I do this a lot. This is one of my favorite takedowns is I go, if I can get someone into like a, a front guillotine attempt, even if it's not very strong, I know they can't post on their hands anymore. So anything that I do is going to be a guaranteed sweep as long as I have some sort of grip on their neck. Yeah, I mean, just in general, just because your opponent can really only grip you effectively with their hands like they can make hooks really good athletes can use hooks to make grips definitely with their feet but the hands do the majority of the gripping and if you can sort of like we mentioned earlier lure their hands into positions that are advantageous for you it's going to open up a lot of opportunities we've already discussed about 
you know, playing the dilemma between going for a, a front headlock and paying attention to their hand position and then playing the playing their reactions, right? Or or off balancing them, making them post their hands on the floor, and then it might be easier to come up on an underhook, right? So just as a general mm-hmm. rule, it's so important to think, how am I going to manipulate my opponent's hands? How am I going to if they're if if I'm wrestling up from a bottom position and my opponent's hands are not on the floor, it's going to be really fucking hard to get up. It's going to be a lot of work. But if I can just even just push them towards their hands and just create a situation where they put their hands on the floor, all of a sudden getting up is so much easier. And that is really mm-hmm. that's where like the art happens in jujitsu. You know, that's like how that's where jujitsu can feel so easy as opposed to trying to trying to sweep a brick wall right it's just okay how am i going to make them post their hands on the floor so i mean we could even i mean we basically have done a podcast on just that topic but that that could (laughs) that could literally take up you know a whole episode is the predictable reactions and you know luring hands out into positions that make them vulnerable especially just just to echo that like let's say completely unrelated now you're on someone's back one of the things that i really have taken up lately is the wrist trapping before going for chokes from the back and the and the great thing about wrist trapping is you can still get rotational control of your opponent when you're on their back and you can tie up a wrist with with one of your legs and get a a one-on-none situation where you can totally choke them and they don't have any defensive hands and you like i just mentioned they have no hands to defend your attack so one of the things you can do to lure their hands out into the open, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're, they're playing this kind of a coy game where they're hiding their neck or whatever. You just start literally start choking their face, just start grabbing them by the face and making their life miserable. Their hands are going to defend, you know, and now that their hands are defending the the primary arm that's on their face, the other arm can snake in below and start making another attack even lower on their face. And every time this happens, your opponent has their hands have to come to your choking hand. Otherwise, they basically get choked across the face. And then eventually, if you do this properly, you can find a way to get your other arm underneath their neck. And this is this is a great attack where, you know, just like Nicky Rod, like Nicky Rod says, anything under the eyebrows, right? Like just attacking the face and luring their hands out in the open. Then you can wrist trap or you can continue to dig underneath and hopefully get that neck exposure, right? So I I, I play games like this all the time. As opposed to just, okay, I'm going to try and just going to try and choke you out from the back when you have two hands that are available to defend. And now it's just, I'm putting in all this work and I'm getting nowhere. Yeah. I mean, on the topic of ways to make friends in the gym by doing bodily damage to them, we should probably talk about the ultimate post, which of course is the dick post. Yeah, except <laughs> you're not posting with your dick. You're having your dick posted on. Uh, <laughs> it's a misnomer. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while since we've talked about the dick post. But yeah, that's basically where you grab your opponent's legs. You're on the bottom and you effectively use your own leg as an upside down post against, you know, technically it's not really on the genitals. It's more kind of like on the. I guess if the way that I do it, it's normally on the belly button. And then your opponent has a quite a dilemma because they have to decide, do they want to have children in the future? You know, it's it's a tricky situation to have. So fun one. I remember when I was at your gym, I was teaching the dick post to your guys, and it was the closest I've ever seen in jujitsu to one of those Bullshito martial arts videos, you know, where the instructor is like lined up and 10 people just walk at him and he just like uses his chi and they just go flying. 
that was what the dick post was like, because once you put people in that position, they don't want to be there and they will get the fuck out of that position. <laughs> so it is a very effective, easy way to get someone from the top to the bottom. Yeah, you just stomp their, you just stomp their penis or vagina. Yeah, what, which is whatever. amazingly legal. Amazingly legal. Yes. Reaping is not legal in certain situations. You know, heel hooks, not legal in a lot of situations, but stomping the genitals is completely legal. It's interesting. I mean, they have a choice, right? Like either <laughs> have your genitals crushed or penetrated or get swept. The choice is yours. It, this is something I've been thinking about this a lot recently, just in terms of how we prioritize the rules in jujitsu, right? And how we say things like, oh, well, you know, some of these knee attacks are real dangerous. And I mean, to be fair, I, I don't want to have my knee shredded. I don't want to have my ACL destroyed. But it is kind of funny that that's the line. But we're totally okay with things like cutting off the blood to people's brains or things like snapping their wrists or things like stomping the genitals. It's just kind of funny that like we've got this weird arbitrary line and we've conditioned ourselves to the fact that like one side of the fence is totally weird and bad, but the other side is totally fine. Like it's totally normal to just post your foot into someone's junk and make them tip over anyway. Yeah. 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 Any closing thoughts on post, Matt? I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I think it was pretty good too. So I guess with that said, we can tie this one up. I mean, for all of you who are listening, if you want to, hear us prattle on more. We actually recently completed our seven part game planning series on the premium service. We've got it all fancy and dressed up now. You can check it out at premium.bjjmentalmodels.com. In addition to being the single best way to support the show, it also gives you access to a ton of awesome content like the game planning series that I just talked about with Matt using these concepts to actually build a jujitsu specific game plan based on mental models. And also we'll narrate your reviews. There's a great community, lots of reasons to join. And if you're not into that, you can also check us out on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash BJJ mental models. So two ways, if you want the full premium, go to premium.bjjmentalmodels.com. If you want to help us on Patreon, patreon.com slash bjjmentalmodels. So with that said, Matt, I'm going to wrap this one up. I think this was a fantastic chat. Thanks for coming by. Any closing thoughts? No, that was good times. Thanks for listening, guys. I really appreciate the support of the show. It's an honor. Ditto. And we'll talk to you guys next week. 